the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the Gospel reading today uh, begins a little bit uh, abruptly. It's kind of difficult to tell what exactly is going on because of the spot where it begins. So I want to explain it, put it in context. On the last day of the feast, a great day, Jesus stood up and proclaimed, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. What is the feast day that uh, Jesus is proclaiming this at? It says on the last day of the feast. So what's the feast day? It's the Feast of Tabernacles. And in the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jews in the time of Christ would celebrate, commemorate, uh, in a liturgical way, the prophecy of the prophet Ezekiel of the Old Testament. They would celebrate something that the prophet saw, foresaw, that had not yet come to fulfillment, even in their day. And what did he see? If you want to read this, it's really long, but it's very beautiful. It's Ezekiel 40 to 47. Ezekiel, this is written about 700 years before Christ. Ezekiel sees, he's taken up into a vision of heaven. And what he sees is this gigantic temple that spans the, the uh, size of an entire city, specifically the city of Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. The temple is so big that it spans the entire city of Jerusalem. Outside of the temple, everything is dead. However, from inside the temple, from the altar of the temple, Ezekiel sees, again, this is a vision of heaven, Ezekiel sees water draining from the altar of the, of the temple through the side out of the east side of the temple and then going outside, being spilled outside. And as the water is being spilled outside, it is giving life to uh, everything that is outside of it, which is dead. Life is now growing, trees and grass and all this, all this stuff is growing because of the water that is being drained from inside the temple, specifically from the altar. What the Jews would do in order to uh, enact this in a liturgical way and to kind of celebrate it before it happened is they actually had a drain from the altar of the temple in Jerusalem that would drain from the altar through the side outside of the east side of the temple and it would drain to the outside. And that was part of the liturgy. So all this is going on, this whole kind of water liturgy is going on, this water ritual is going on, and Jesus stands up in front of everybody and he says, whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So now this contextualizes it. Uh, we kind of understand in a better way why Jesus is speaking about being thirsty and coming to him to drink and so on. Out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Interestingly enough, uh, Jesus says, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. But there's no Bible verse in the whole Old Testament that says that. So what is he doing? He is saying that he himself is the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy, of Ezekiel's vision. Specifically, the sacred heart of Jesus is the temple that the prophet Ezekiel saw 700 years before him. The sacred heart of Jesus is the one from which water drains out and gives life to the world outside of it. Now, where do we see that happening? This is written by St. John the Apostle. And John is present at the Feast of Tabernacles when Jesus is saying this. John is also present later in the life of Christ when Jesus is hanging from the cross 
And John sees the centurion pierce the heart of Christ with a lance. And John says, and from it came out blood and water. And John makes a really big deal out of this at the crucifixion. When he writes it down, he says, he who saw it bears witness to this, that this actually happened. He makes such a big deal that he saw water come out of the heart of Christ that he writes it down and makes sure that he's got testimony, evidence, and everything like that. Why? Because he's understanding now. He sees what happens from the cross is the fulfillment of what Jesus says at the Feast of Tabernacles over here, a reference to Ezekiel's vision of the Old Testament, of the, uh, in the Old Testament of the temple, of the future temple. All this is really beautiful, because what it says is that the person of Christ himself is the one that the whole Old Testament is looking forward to. Specifically, the whole reason for the Old Testament, the whole reason for the ritual worship of God in the Old Testament is leading to the worship of Christ. Christ himself is the centerpiece of the entire Bible. More specific than that, it's actually the heart of Jesus that fulfills everything that Ezekiel saw. And even more specific than that, it's actually the pierced heart of Jesus that Ezekiel saw 700 years before him. It is the pierced heart of Jesus from which water comes out and gives life to the world outside of it. What then is life? How do we define life? Um, we usually define it as biological life, and this is not a biblical understanding. The biblical understanding of life is much deeper than this. When we talk about life, we usually talk about bios. That means um, biological life, living in the body. If somebody's alive in the body, then they are alive. If they die, then they're dead. The Bible understands it pretty differently, actually. It's much deeper. And we can understand it first from a negative sense. By understanding death, we can also understand what life means. So I picked out just one verse from the book of Psalms to kind of get a, a glimpse at what this means. In Psalm 6, David says, in death, there is no remembrance of you, O God. In Sheol, who can give you praise? The Bible in the Old Testament understands death as the inability to communicate with God. And Sheol is the place where people would go in Old Testament thought. Sheol is not like hell, the way we think about hell now. Sheol is the place of the dead, where people would go and they would have a kind of existence. They would have a kind of a shadowy, very faded kind of existence, but not really uh, the existence that you and I live now or the one that people would live in heaven. It is a place where people go and they're alive in a sense, but they're not really conscious. They're just there uh, waiting, but not conscious, not aware, nothing like that is going on. So they're unable to communicate because they're not aware. They don't have any awareness. They don't have any consciousness. In Sheol, no one can remember God. In Sheol, no one can communicate with God. In Sheol, no one can praise God. Death is the place, death is defined by the inability to praise God. And therefore, life is defined by the ability to communicate with God, to commune with God, and to praise Him, to worship Him. Life in the Bible is not reduced only to biological life, the ability to walk and talk and sleep and wake up and eat and so on and so forth. Life in the Bible is defined by the ability to communicate and commune with God. But it goes a little more than that as well. Because when we commune with God, we're not alone with God. 
We don't communicate only in that way. We also communicate with a community. So that in the beginning of the Bible, we see God creates all things and everything is good. He creates um, creation and he says that it's good. He creates the animals and he says that they are good. Everything is good. He creates Adam and he says it is not good. It is the first time that something is not good. It is not good that man should be alone. So he creates Eve to be his partner. And therefore, Adam and Eve walk together in harmony with God and all is good. God communicates himself to us through scripture, through the church, but also through the world that he has created and through the human person, through one another. This is why he became human. This is why he took on flesh and became man. So that he can communicate to us in the language that we would understand in humanity. But he also communicates himself to us in such a way that he teaches us what is perfect man look like. What does it mean to be properly human? And this is what he shows us then from the cross. To be properly a human being, we must imitate Jesus in all things. To be a properly human being, we have to go to the cross with Christ and there allow ourselves to be pierced. There allow our hearts to be pierced with him. Brothers and sisters, Jesus and his love for us is manifested on the cross in exactly what way? Jesus is not one to deny anybody or to reject anybody. And the place where you see that is the cross. Some of the imagery that we get from there is Jesus has his arms outstretched like this, ready to embrace the entire world. Absolutely. But another one is what we get from the gospel reading today. Jesus closes his heart to nobody. And the proof of that is that he has opened his heart by allowing his heart to be pierced by the one who, uh, who pierced it. He allows his heart to be pierced and thus opened, and now it is open to everybody to enter. But only those can enter who will allow their hearts to be pierced as well. And that means that if we're going to be united with Christ, we must be able to allow our hearts to be pierced, to allow ourselves to suffer with him, to allow ourselves to be hurt, and then to do like Christ does and forgive the person who pierced it, and to love the person who pierced it. This is what it means when Jesus says, out of his heart will, shall flow rivers of living water. That gives life to the world because the centurion that pierced the heart of Christ, you and I who pierced the sacred heart of Jesus, we are dead for piercing his heart with our sins, absolutely. But we are given life when he pours out bl uh, blood and water from that heart and gives us life again. When we accept in Christ that our hearts will, will be pierced by one another, and then we forgive one another, we are pouring water over one another and giving life to each other in the Lord Jesus and in imitation of him. The ability to accept suffering from each other, to, to, to put ourselves out there and risk ourselves such, in such a way that we can allow ourselves to be hurt and then forgive, this is true Christian virtue. And this, if I tell you honestly, is what it means to become a temple of God, wherein God is worshipped by perfect <coughs> obedience and love. Amen. <laughs>